Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Christmas of 2019. I know it's hard to remember things that happened that long ago, but I'll never forget Christmas 2019. My family, our extended family, had rented a multi-level cabin in the middle of the woods to celebrate Christmas. And so we had family members from Missouri, other parts of Arkansas. There's probably about 30 of us all together. Every couple had their own room for them and their kids. And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. It was freezing cold outside. It was raining. I don't know why, but for some reason, I woke up around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I looked over to the the little set of beds where my two children were supposed to be sound asleep. At that time, they were probably ages two and four. And I looked over and the two-year-old was missing. And I thought, she's, she's into something. So I got up and I just did a, a, a quick look of the house. And I, my fear of she might be into something that she shouldn't be into quickly elevated because I went through every common place of the house, and she was nowhere to be found. I went to the front door. It was unlocked. Out the front door was nothing but pitch, dark, cold. And I thought, this two-year-old baby has gotten out of this house. I ran back down to Megan, and I said, Nora's gone. We began to flip on lights. We began to wake people up. For, I don't know, I'm sure it was five minutes or less, but it felt like an eternity. My heart, anybody know what I'm talking about this feeling? My heart was pounding or stopped. I'm not sure, but I was frantic, I was urgent, I was a mess. Finally, I snuck into the upstairs room where my sister and her husband and their children were asleep, and I whispered in my sister's ear, Nora is gone. We can't find her. And about that time, she lifted up the sheet to her bed. <laughs> and Nora was in, had gotten up. It was Christmas time. Had gotten up in the middle of the night, walked upstairs where the toys were, and gotten into the toys and eventually gotten into my sister's bed. It was a simple, simple thing. But I can tell you, it changed my life. I went home, and I became, I became Trevor, I became a, a, a Nazi about making sure the doors were locked and the chains were over so that no one could not just get in my house at night. I wanted to make sure no one could get out of my house at night. Today, I want to talk to you about developing a heart for lost people. How many understand that God has a lost has a heart for lost people. What is God's heart for lost people? I don't know if I can really communicate all of it to you, but I got a feeling that that five minutes that I experienced of my child not being where I thought she was, that five minutes I experienced where I thought she was out the door and gone, I got a feeling that's a little bit of God's heart towards those in this world that don't know Him. 
I think that was his heart towards you when you were still a sinner and he sent Jesus to die for you, according to Romans. I believe that was his heart for you. He was urgently seeking to save that which was lost. And every believer in the room today, we are exhibit A of the urgency and the distance he will go those to reach those who are lost. Romans chapter 9, verse number 1, Paul shares with us his heart for God's heart. And he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. That's a pretty big statement. I wish I was cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from theirs is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It's not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel. Not because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. We'll get into that in a moment. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Father, I pray then this morning, in the next few minutes of time, that you would help me communicate in some small essence your heart for us and your heart for those who are lost. Everyone in this room who are, who are Christ followers, we were all once far from God, and now we're near to God only through the work of Jesus. I pray that we would not allow the work of Jesus to stop with us, that instead we would perpetuate the love of Jesus and the heart of God to others. So help me today to speak what you want spoken Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds. And church family, would you just join me in today? Would you join me in this prayer? Father, open my heart for those who are lost without you. Give me a newfound urgency. I know it's going to stretch me. It's going to make me uncomfortable. But do it anyway. In Jesus' name. Every message I preach, I know there are several preachers in the room, I think they could probably say an amen to this. Every message I preach messes with me before it ever gets a chance to mess with you, right? Uh, matter of fact, the day it doesn't mess with me first is the day I need to find something else to do. Um, so I'll just tell you, this message has been messing with me for a while now. Paul lets us know, he says, these are some pretty uh, intriguing words that he just inserts in, in chapter 9. He, he just, it, it kind of like he wants you to feel how serious this is. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. He said, by the, by the conscious, the, the work of the Holy Spirit confirms what I'm saying. My conscience is confirming that 
what I'm talking about is serious business. This is the passion of my heart. This isn't the ramblings of a preacher, Paul is saying. This is the heartbeat of my life, is that I want people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. God help us. Put back the heartbeat of God in our churches today where the heartbeat of the church is that those who are away from God we come near to God. Lord, forgive us of everything else we made it. It's not about saving other things. It's about saving people. Let those who are far from Jesus we come near to Jesus. That's the heartbeat of the gospel. That's what Paul is passionate about. And so I have to ask myself today, what is the level of my personal concern about those around me who don't know Jesus? We know the concern of God. All, all of us in this room, we know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He, what, he gave whatever it took and everything it took. That those who believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. This reminds us that God is concerned and motivated to reach the lost, but we've got to be motivated and concerned as well. And there's moments, there's moments I do have a heightened awareness and a heightened concern. Because living a life away from Jesus doesn't just, um, it doesn't just damn us for eternity to live without Him it's kind of damning on our immediate life as well, right? I'm, I'm heightened. I'm, I'm, my senses of people's lostness, obviously it's, it's heightened when I see people going to eternity without knowing Jesus, but it's also heightened when I see people who are trapped in addiction. They want to be free, but they can't get free, but we know who the sun sets free Right? I see them. I understand. I have this heightened awareness that, oh, if Jesus, if there was room for Jesus to be inserted into this thing, there's no telling what could do, what could happen. When I see people who are on the dead end street of pursuing, you know, materialistic gain at the, at, at the sacrifice of their pursuit of Jesus, it, it catches my attention. When I see people that bounce from destructive relationship to destructive relationship to destructive relationship, I realized that if they just had a relationship with Jesus that was foundational to their life, it would, it would save so much heartache and pain in their life. But sometimes we get lulled to sleep by our surroundings. Sometimes we see people, they're not caught in these tragic conditions. They seem put together. Their life is like a Facebook post. It looks great. And we're just kind of, they, they look good, so they must be good. We're lulled to sleep. We live in what is called the Bible Belt. And we have so many churches in the city of Cabot and the surrounding area. You would think surely everyone in Cabot, Arkansas, has had an adequate presentation of the gospel. You would think that, but it's not true. I assure you, and when I say this word, I am not exaggerating. There are thousands of people. Did he say thousands? Yes. 
There are thousands of people within a small radius of this building who do not know Jesus. And if you were trying to explain to them the plan of salvation of Jesus, that would be a foreign concept to them. Do we have a heart for the lost? Or is our, is our heart for the lost what it should be? I have a few questions to help stir us from Romans chapter 9 this morning. First question is this. Do I have sorrow for the lost? Paul said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Are we concerned about the people who are exiting this life or people who are living this life without a saving knowledge of Jesus? They are caught in all different lifestyles. They are caught in a spiral of destruction because they don't know Jesus. You know, for years, Megan and I ministered in a community that had a paper mill. Have you ever lived in a town with a paper mill? Those that have, you, you know what I'm about to say, right? There is a certain smell of home. When you live in a town that has a paper mill, and Megan and I lived there for, you know, the better part of two decades, if you put it together. And we would have people come visit us when the local paper mill was open. It eventually shut down. But people would come and visit us, and they would smell that smell, and they would say, how do y'all live here with that smell? And I was just like, my answer was always the same. I'd say, well, you get... You get used to it. I'm afraid that sometimes we get used to people's lostness. We settle with just the idea it's just the way it is. This morning I've just come to ask, have we are we like Paul who says, My heart is full of unceasing anguish that my own people don't know Jesus? Or is it just, just something we're used to? You know, Jesus told three parables in Luke 15. I won't read them all to you, but uh, Luke chapter 15, he tells a story about a lady who had ten coins, and she loses one. So what does she do? She stops what, she does, what she's doing, and he search, she searches the whole house until that one coin is found. Then he goes into the next story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one goes missing. So what does he do? He leaves the 99 in safekeeping and he goes out and he pursues the one and he doesn't stop looking until the one is found. And when the one is found, he brings it back and he celebrates. Right, The lady who found the missing coin celebrates the shepherd celebrates and there was a, a another parable that Jesus told about a man who had two sons and one of his sons what did he do he, he he ran off he spent his whole inheritance on riotous living until finally he comes to his senses he goes back home the bible says when he was still a long way away the father what sees him runs to him covers him 
comes back, celebrates him. And all of those stories, there's a few common threads. I know I'm hitting the high points today. But one common thread is this. What was left never took the place of what was missing. That lady could have said, well, you know, I still got nine. I had ten coins. I lost one, but I still got nine. I'm good. The guy with a hundred sheep said, I lost one, but you know, I got 99. Like that's a pretty, in, in school, 99 out of 100, that was, a, that was an A, right? That was a good grade. But he wasn't happy with 99 out of 100. And, the, and the, the guy that had two sons, he wasn't, he kept looking until the son came home. Paul reminds us that Jesus was reminded that he wants the lost to be found. He wants people to know Jesus. This has to be our cry too. Jesus said in John chapter 4, he says, don't say four months and then the harvest will come. Don't say that someday, sometime, God will use me. He said, no, no, look at the fields. They're ripe already, which simply means they're already ready for a harvest. They're already ready to come to Jesus. I believe this, and you can... You can Disagree with me if you want to. But I believe everyone in this room and everyone connected online with us today, I believe every one of us have been planted in a ripe field. I've talked to people and they feel like, you know, Pastor, I am, I am in a dead-end job. No. You're planted in a ripe field. And as long as God has you there, He wants to use you there. I've talked to teenagers who tell me, you know, my school is just it's just lonely place, horrible place. But as long as God has you there, you're planted in a ripe field. I believe your job is a ripe field. I believe your family is a ripe field. I believe that Cabot, Arkansas is a ripe field that God has planted you and I wherever it is he's placed us. None of us are accidentally where we are. God has placed us and if he's placed me there then there's a harvest there. There's people that I can reach. There's people who can come to Jesus if I will simply be faithful where he's placed me. God may place you in different places throughout your lifetime. But you're never placed anywhere to just be a consumer or an enjoyer of where he places you. You're placed with a mission. God has us placed, one preacher said it like this way, God has you placed with a purpose on purpose. So that you can introduce people to the purpose of their life, which is knowing Jesus. I wish... I think we're probably already there. But I hope someday all of us understand that whatever our job title is, is our secondary job title. If you're a school teacher today, I know your superintendent probably gave you a job description. But the first bullet print, if you've got it on paper, I would challenge you to print that baby out today and put a new bullet print right up top that says this, win people to Jesus. If you're a construction 
worker today, you own your own company, you own your own business, and you think your job is to build houses or, or build whatever it is, it is you build, I would like for you to print out your business dream, your business job description. The first, the first thing, the first line on, on your job is not to build houses or build shopping centers or build all those things. Your first job is to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything else we invest our life in will fade away, but what you do for Jesus will last for eternity. We don't take anything to heaven with us, but the people God uses us to reach. So God, stir our hearts for what matters. Which brings me to the second question to stir us this morning. Are we willing to sacrifice to reach those who are lost? Listen to verse number three. Verse three messes with me. Paul said, for I could wish that myself were cursed and cut off from Christ if that would mean that my brothers, the people of my own race, could be one to Jesus. Paul says, I'm so concerned for lost people that I am willing to be separated from him myself if that would allow them to somehow come to know Jesus. Now Paul knows this is not possible. Not only is it not possible, someone's actually already done that for us. His name is Jesus, right? But the willingness to sacrifice is still there. And I would like to remind you, who is it that Paul is so consumed, so concerned with? It's, he says, my own people, the people of Israel. Who are those people? Do you remember the, the, the passage where Paul kind of goes off on what he's been through? I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been, uh, they tried to kill me with stones. I've been put in prison. I've been left for dead. I've been lied about. I've been ridiculed. I've been chased out of town. And all of this stuff that's been done to him has been done by the people who he says, I am so concerned that they come to Jesus. The ones who have hurt him the most is the ones he's most concerned with. He's in sorrow over. You know, we live in a culture right now that says, if you do not agree with me, if you don't believe like me, then I have no value for you. If you don't believe like me, I will cancel you, I will write you off, I will ignore you. But Paul is saying, just because you cancel me, does not mean that I'm going to cancel my love for you or my attempt to reach you. We see this same willingness to sacrifice present in many people who did great things for God. Think of Moses. Moses went to the mountain of God. He's leading the children of Israel. He's up there. He's hearing from the Lord. He comes back. They have made that golden calf 
Aaron gives the, the, the worst excuse in all of God's word. Moses says, well, where did this thing come from? And Aaron says, well, we just threw the gold in the fire and poof, this golden calf came out. Right? That's in the Bible. And we begin to worship it. And God says, because of their evilness, he says, I'm going to, and I quote, blot them out. I'm going to wipe them out, God says. But Moses said in verse number 31, oh, this is a great sin that they've committed, Lord. Exodus 32, 32. But please forgive them of their sin. And if you're not going to forgive them, just go ahead and blot me out too. That's what Moses says. Did he get upset with them? Sure. But his mission was still to lead them. I want to give you this quote to ponder this morning. Lost people are not our enemies. They are our mission. We do not exist to seek and save people that are just like us, that believe like us. If they look like us, believe like us, act like us, guess what? They're not in need of being reached. Jesus gave himself up for us. Galatians 3, 13, talked about Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Love for others is always marked with sacrifice. We cannot say we love a dying world if we're not willing to sacrifice something to reach them. What are we willing to sacrifice to reach them? Can I tell you, it's not a now, in just a few weeks, I'll, spoiler alert, a few weeks we're going to have the Vision Sunday launch of Kingdom Builders. I want to be challenging you to, to give money to help us reach people. We're giving you uh, ideas and strategies we have to reach people. But it's not about what kind of money am I going to give only. It's about what, what, what am I doing with my lifestyle? What rights am I laying down just for the sake of reaching someone, or the hopes of reaching someone. Is my life building hurdles for people to have to get over to come to Jesus, or is my life a life of ministry that is removing hurdles for people to come to Jesus? It's not, a, it's not an event sacrificing so that people would come to know. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle. For too long, I've got notes, I'm just not using them. For too long, the, the church has treated reaching people as an outreach event. Not understanding God is... Uh, in Him we live, we breathe, and we have our being. In Him, our living and our breathing should all be... It should all be a, a voice of God saying, Come to Jesus. Our lifestyle should scream to people, Come to Jesus. I was at a restaurant the other day. I was telling the men about this the other day, just in case you ever think I don't lose my temper. 
I was in a restaurant the other day. I took, Megan and I had a date night. My in-laws had our kids. We were like footloose and fancy free. So we went to a restaurant to order a hamburger and fried pickles. Sounds healthy and easy, right? An hour and ten minutes later, our pickles still had not arrived. Hour and 25 minutes, our hamburger finally showed up. It was, and the only thing that was worse than how long it took was how unconcerned our waiter seemed about the whole thing. Um, it's just a horrible experience. And I had to wrestle with this thought. Do I leave this guy a tip or a note? <laughs> but to complicate the matters was I was wearing my favorite toboggan, which you know what it says right here, right? And I was wearing my favorite black sweatshirt, which says, So I knew if I left a note, I couldn't use cuss words. I knew that. Don't look at you. You're not that holy. Don't, come on. But I realized, this guy has been seeing the branding of our church for an hour and 45 minutes. Now, he's been looking at the branding of our church. And as small as, as small as a deal, as a, what size a tip you leave it, that's a small deal, isn't it? But it leaves, I understood, is about to leave a lasting impression to this waiter. I could leave him zero dollars, and I think he will know he got exactly what he deserved. Or I could bless him, and he could get more than he deserved. So I didn't leave the guy a 10% tip or a 15% tip. I left the guy a 20% tip. Pastor, he didn't deserve it. You and I have never deserved the grace of Jesus either. And I chose to believe that that simple, frustrating hour and a half could be another hurdle this guy has to get over. Or maybe he would see my sweatshirt and my hoodie and my tip and think, maybe Christians aren't that bad after all. Pastor, I would never do that. That's just a small thing that the Lord's been dealing with me about to make sure my life is pointing people to Jesus, not being a hurdle for them to get over to come to Jesus. Love for others is always marked with sacrifice. I could go on and on, but I think you got the picture. Number three, we have to expose substitutes for God. Romans 9, Paul says, the people of Israel, theirs is their adoption of sons. He talks about how wonderful 
it is to be of the family of God or the family of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs is the divine glory. Jesus came for them. Theirs was the covenants they received. Theirs was the receiving of the law. Theirs was the temple worship and the promises. Paul's saying, my own people have been blessed so much. They're known as God's people. But they don't know Jesus. And for them, they were allowing the things of God to be a substitute for relationship with Him. They relied on the proximity to the things of God rather than a relationship with Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded them. Do you know the God of this age can blind us? And he blinds people all the time. But he doesn't have to blind them, them with just evil things. He can blind them with good things. Paul, Galatians 1 and 13, says that I myself was once blinded by zeal of Judaism, of my own traditions. But he wasn't a follower of Jesus. We must never mistake gifts from God as a relationship with him. That's false security. It was found in, in, in these people's lives. It was found in Paul's life. Even Jesus said, hey, from these stones I can raise up people of Israel. I wonder what modern day substitutes we have, we've made for Jesus. Some of them are found in the Bible. Some people make modern-day substitutes out of Jesus, for Jesus out of what they do for him, Matthew 7, 22. Others have securities, and they have security in the things of this earth. We acquire enough stuff so we think, I don't need God, or that's a substitute for God. Others, Galatians 1.10 talks about trying to seek the approval of people. Do you know the best way we can allow people to see their need for God is for us to live a life ourselves that is totally dependent on Him. I'm not one of these guys that goes around saying, you know, the Lord says all that much. This past week, I just, I was arguing with the Lord about some things. I know you don't do that. You're too spiritual, but sometimes I just argue with him. And I was just talking to him. And, and I kind of made this statement out loud in my prayer. I said, Lord, I feel like you are just stripping, taking all this stuff from me. I just venting him some frustrations. And the minute I just kind of confessed that to the Lord, I felt the Holy Spirit remind me, I'm stripping certain things so you depend on me and not on you. The only time God allows things to be taken from us is when he's also committed 
to make up for them with His grace and His mercy. So depend on the promises of God. It's the children of promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring or as Christ's followers. Megan, if you want to come. What, what does this children of promise mean? I'm not going to go into it because I know we're out of time, but Galatians 5, 2 through 6, you could write that down and look at it later. Basically, a children of promise is someone who, who bases their relationship with God, their right standing with God. They base it on who they are in Christ, not on what they've done or who they are or what they've accomplished or what they've gained. It's all based on who I am in Christ. Salvation doesn't come from our pedigrees, from our right practices. It comes from the promise of Jesus that he will redeem, that he will save any person that comes to him. So Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, not just rest from your long work hours, your rest from your stress at work, not rest from social anxiety, not just rest from... He says, you will find rest for your souls. You can know that things are right with you and God. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. What is our level of concern about those who are lost around us? You know, always, I like those evaluations you do from time to time on yourself. So it's on a scale of 10, scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not at all concerned, 10 being, I think Paul was a 10. He said, I am in deep anguish about those of my own people who do not know Jesus. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not concerned at all, or 10 being I am in deep anguish. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to pinpoint on that scale where you are? Have you been not concerned at all? I've been so busy, so, 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 so much pursuing other things or other people or other accomplishments that it's just not been on my radar like it should be. Or, or maybe, maybe you have been a 10. You have been like Paul. You've been so concerned in the past that and you're still like a seven or eight, but you know it's not where it once was. The prayer I asked you to pray with me earlier was, Lord, stir our hearts for those around us who are lost. I understand that we live in a world today that is becoming increasingly antagonistic towards the church of Jesus Christ. I wish it wasn't so, but it is so. It's happening. It's not happening around the world. It's happening down the street, everywhere. But those who are being antagonistic towards Paul, he did not label them as his enemy. He labeled them as his mission. I, he says, I am deeply concerned. We've, we've got we've to make sure that as we live in a world that is attacking us, that we don't just return fire for fire. We've got to love those who are persecuting us. We have to remember that the ultimate goal of the gospel is to seek and save those who are lost.
We cannot let hatred that is thrown at us produce hatred in us. We've got to continually contend that even those who are, in Paul's case, throwing the stones at us, locking the jail cell, we're still concerned for them. Still concerned for them. Still love them. How, how did a Philippian jailer get saved? Because Paul wasn't so much concerned about the freedom as he was about the salvation of that soldier. Father, stir our hearts. Would you just pray that prayer with me this morning? Father, stir my heart. Stir my heart, God, fresh and new for those around me who are far from you. Lord, stir my heart. Let Develop a concern. Maybe it's not a natural concern I've had. Maybe it's going to be a spiritual work. But Lord, you're the God that does spiritual work in the people. Lord, you, you cause us to be concerned about things today that we were not concerned about yesterday because you've stirred our heart. You've inserted more of the heart of God in us today than we used to have. Lord, do that today. And Father, forgive us if we have allowed other things, substitute things in our life that we've pursued them instead of you. God, forgive us of that. We fix our eyes on you and your mission, which is seek and save that which is lost. How can we, how can we be unconcerned about the thing that you say you are most concerned about? Lord, it's not possible. So stir our hearts today. Stir our hearts, Lord. Stir our hearts, Lord. And last in this private moment, you're sitting here and you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm here today, but I'm not a Jesus follower. And your heart hasn't so much been stirred to go tell someone else. Your, your heart's been stirred because you are keenly aware that you, you need Jesus. Despite how good or bad someone's done to explain it, you know there's a need for a right relationship with God that is present in your heart today. I want to tell you, Jesus is the answer. And you have not gone too far that he cannot redeem, restore, recreate. The word says that the minute we choose to follow him, he makes us into a brand new creation. Our old is gone. The labels of yesterday are gone. And we begin to be a brand new person it has happened hundreds of times with people in this room today. They're present because God's done it for them. And today, He wants to do it for you. If you'll make room for Him, say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not a Jesus follower, but today, I want, to just, I want to start following Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. Just, you just lift a hand real quick. That's me, Pastor. Today's my day. Today's the day I start following Jesus. Amen? you stand with me all across this room? Father, I'm thankful you've called us to be your people. But you've also called us to take what you've given us and share it with someone else. God, I pray that this, this day you stir our hearts regarding those around us who are far from you. Lord, we refuse to give up some of those where they look like they're running away from you. But God, we know that the Holy Spirit is drawing them towards you. Lord, when you show us opportunities, Lord, sometimes the opportunities we have are in the planned moments and sometimes they're in the unplanned moments. And sometimes they're in the heights of our day and sometimes they're in the worst moments of our day. But you give us opportunities to not just share the love of Jesus, but even vocally 
Invite people to come to know Jesus. Help us be faithful with those opportunities. Use us, Lord, to reach those far from God. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord. Come on, take 10 more seconds. Just say, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Show me people's faces. Give me courage in the moments of confrontation. Give me courage in the moments of opportunity. Lord, stir my heart. Let me not be unconcerned or indifferent to people who are far from Jesus. Instead, Lord, use me to bring them closer. Whether it's step by step or whether I get to actually be the person that prays with them, use me to move people closer to Jesus. Use our church to move people closer to Jesus. It's our prayer. In Jesus' name. If you receive the word of God today, would you give him a hand clap today? We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.